Well, it's a joy to be with you at St. Timothy's and uh, an excuse to see our grandson Dax, but also to be able to preach in this great church where discipleship is part of your DNA. And it's been there for a number of years. And when Pastor Jim came in, he reaffirmed that direction of leadership. And so I'm grateful for the invitation from Pastor Jim and Jonna to uh, be able to share God's word with you on this All Saints Sunday. Very, very special day. But not only are we proud of Jonna and the uh, pastoral leadership she is maturing in and guiding you, but we also have four other children. And uh, my wife, Debbie, probably is taking care of Dax right now. I'm not sure, but that's her love. We, uh, we have five of our own adult children and five grandsons. We've got a basketball team started. And uh, uh, it's such a joy uh, to be a grandparent and to be able to be united with you at this worship service. I met uh, a number of you at the P retreat in Pacifica last month. 21 of you came, and I thank Warren for his recruiting efforts to get you there, uh, because as dean, I wanted us to have a nice gathering of various NALC churches within our district. We're so spread out, and we're easy uh, pickings of the enemy if we're not together, and so we have churches all the way from our saviors in Auburn to First Lutheran and Tulare, and the rest in between. But we haven't had any fellowship and get-togethers or retreats for a number of years. So I believe we hit the, the target. We hit the center on what we wanted to do, and that was to get to know each other, to hear the word on discipleship from Bishop Emeritus John Brodowski, which did an amazing job, and we had a jazz band and a gospel singer to boot. So we had a, a fantastic time up at the Holy Cross in Pacifica. So you helped immensely. You are an encouragement to me as a church. And so I want you to know what a blessing you are to some of our smaller churches in the district. Uh, like I said, we have four other children. Kirsten is in Rochester, Minnesota, working in HR at Mayo Clinic. We have two grandsons there. And uh, Karen, our other daughter, is in Gainesville, Florida. And her husband works at uh, the University of Florida in chemistry department. That's above my pay grade. Uh, and two, two grandsons there, Benjamin and Samuel. And uh, we have Carl, our special needs son, uh, who is highly medicated. And he makes us laugh. I always say that God gave us Carl so that we could laugh. And uh, he, he's a teaser high-functioning, uh, he's under the Central Valley Regional Center system, and uh, we, we pray for maximum uh, gifts in, in life for him. I mean, he, had a, he has a driver's license and had a number of accidents, but I tend to risk in that area and push him to be all that he can be. And then there's Peter in St. Louis going to seminary there, Missouri Synod Lutheran Seminary, and they just... He just got married to Abby this past August. So we've had a lot going on in our family, but it's nice to have a respite and come out to San Jose and, and worship with you folks this All Saints Sunday. I start with uh, the most popular passage in all of Christendom is John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. 
and I will take you back to be with me so that you may be with me also. These were thy words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen. So it's good to worship with you in this All Saints Sunday, very, very special day when we commemorate all those faithful ones who've gone before us. I know my folks are gone. Uh, my mother passed away in 2000, 2009 and my dad 2015 and uh, my wife Debbie's folks passed away as well. Uh, both were pastors uh, and uh, as our dads, so we have quite a legacy in our family, but you grieve. And uh, Jonna had li listed a number of people who passed away in this, this last year. You grieve deeply, and, and you should, because of the love you have for your loved ones. But also strengthened by the fact that Jesus conquered our worst enemy, death itself. And because of that, we have a new and living hope that because he lives, we too shall live. And we will be reunited with those who've gone before us in the faith. That gives us great comfort. In a mysterious way, we're united with the hosts of heaven as we worship today, and that should give us comfort. We celebrate those who've shared the love of Christ with us by word and deed, and we talk a lot about the importance of discipleship, but the question today is, who discipled you? Why are you in the pews here today? Someone touched your life. Someone shared their faith. Was it a parent who prayed for you before you went to bed at night? Was it a Sunday school teacher or a faithful pastor along the way or a friend who spoke truth to you when you were headed in the wrong direction? We thank God for these saints and their legacy. But this is All Saints Sunday. And this is where in our false humility we have problems. We often hear, well, I'm no saint, but we don't want to seem as holier than thou some kind of superior, holy person. We don't like that label, and so we don't like being called a saint, and we reject it. But we are, like it or not. Luther, in his famous Latin phrase, simul justus et peccator, says we are at one and the same time both saint and sinner. That's who we are. Now, we have a Christian denomination that believes we're not a sinner. Once we're born again, we, we left that sinful life, that sinful condition behind us. And I have an issue with that. I had a council president who believed in that very thing, that we're no longer sinners. But I said, just ask your wife. She'll know. <laughs> just ask Debbie, my wife. She'll know that I've fallen short of the glory of God, and I do it time and time again. I think we don't have a problem admitting that we're a sinner, and fallen short of the glory of God. But to be a saint, now that's quite a different matter. I had a hard time convincing Mick that he was a saint. Now Mick was a chief of police at a small base where I was stationed at in Germany. Mick uh, was a heavy smoker and he had a reddish tinge to his nose and face and he looked like he could bite your head off. He was unapproachable. But one day he came to the chapel to my office and he said he was the son of a Baptist minister and that he admitted that he had strayed from the church and from his faith. He, he married a German and had two daughters, but now he was getting a divorce. He said his life was a mess and he didn't know what to do. 
And then he wept. And that was the beginning of his renewal in Christ. He started coming to chapel and growing in his faith. And then one day after service, he said, I don't get that part where we're a saint. I mean, I stray and I fall short in my daily work and I cuss once in a while. And I said, well, it's not what we do that makes us a saint. It's what Jesus has done, shedding his blood, wiping away our sins that makes us a saint, that makes us holy in his eyes through repentance. A few years ago, Mick called me and said he's going to be in Fresno. Could we meet for lunch? And uh, we got caught up on things. And he said he married a wonderful Christian woman and uh, is now teaching the Divine Drama Bible course that I taught him in Germany. And, and he's doing that in his church in Sierra Vista, Arizona. As a saint of God, living the abundant life, saint and sinner alike. Saint means holy ones are set apart. Not set apart to be some pious superstar, but as St. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's what saints do, good works. And probably the best definition of what a saint is is a grandma sitting in church like you are with her grandson. And the grandson was marveling at the stained glass windows. And he asked his grandma, Grandma, what, what are the, who are those people in those windows? He said, why, those are apostles. And he quizzically looked around and asked his grandma, well, who are the apostles? She said, they are saints who let the light through. Letting the light through, that's who you are as saints in a dark world. We are so needed. The next thing I want to say about All Saints Sunday is that we have a home in Jesus and that heaven is a place for all saints. And as I said before, Jesus saved his best words on the night in which he was betrayed to his best friends, the disciples, when he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be where I am also. Friends, this is no hoax, this place called the heaven, place of eternal intimacy with our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But we don't talk a lot about heaven, do we? We're like the TV series years ago, Heaven Can Wait, I like this American dream. Things are going pretty well for me, and so I don't really think about the afterlife, and many of us are in that place. But for others, the concept of a place where there's no more suffering brings a wonderful hope, something to cling to. My Father's house is real, and an eternal gift of salvation. The praise band is going to be singing one of my favorites, I Can Only Imagine. And he tries to guess what it's going to be like to be in heaven. But it's something unimaginable. Unimaginable. There are so many misconceptions about heaven. It's not an abstract idea like a never-never land, mythological place, or an artist's concept of celestial beauty, or a musician's theme for a symphony, or a fearful person's imaginative escape from harm. And for some, and maybe for you, Heaven is an eternal golf course where a hole-in-one is a dime a dozen. 
But I hate to tell you, you might be in for a big surprise, and it's going to be a good surprise. Luther said that, first of all, we're going to be surprised to be there. And then secondly, we're going to be surprised to see who there, who's there with us. Like, oh, I didn't know you are going to make it. Yeah. Oh, well, good for you. Good for you. Praise God. We've got some of those folks that are going to surprise us. The closest we can come to understanding what heaven is like in this place is that it's going to be a place of intimate fellowship with the Lord. Bishop John made the point at our retreat that the goal for discipleship is intimate fellowship with Jesus. It's about abiding in Jesus. And that's the understanding of the words, my father's house, there are many rooms or abodes. And the verb would be to abide, which sends your mind right to John 15. Abide in me and I in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. To abide in Jesus, that's what it's going to be like in heaven. The call then is to learn to abide in Jesus on this side of eternity. We get, better get some practice. We have a home in Jesus as his saints. There was a bagpiper who was asked by a funeral director if he could do a graveside service for a homeless man. He had no family or friends, and so the bagpiper said yes, but he was unfamiliar with the Kentucky backwoods because there would be a pauper cemetery where he would be conducting the service. And so he got lost in the backwoods, and as a man, many of us men, we, we don't like to ask for directions, so he got lost. And about an hour late, he arrived at the site, and uh, obviously the funeral director wasn't there. There was no evidence of a hearse that had departed, only a few diggers sitting around having lunch. And so uh, he decided to take the bagpipes out of the car anyway and do what he could for this homeless man who had no family or friends. And so he started playing Amazing Grace, and the, the diggers put down their lunch and started gathering around the site. Um, the, the vault and the lid was shut. The bagpiper noticed that much, but he played his heart out, Amazing Grace. They started to weep. He started to weep. They all wept, and then left afterwards, and the bagpiper's head was low, but his heart was full. He did his best to play for this homeless man. As he opened the door of the car, he heard one of the diggers say, I've never seen nothing like that before, and I've been putting in septic tanks for over 20 years. <laughs> As followers of Jesus, we are never lost. We always have a home. Never homeless. We have a place. Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. An angel of God gave the Apostle John a mind-blowing vision in our text today of what is to come. It was a vision deep in the hearts of Jewish thought of a new heaven and a new earth. And the passage that was read in Isaiah 25 prophesied of the Messianic age of a feast of rich foods, and a banquet of the finest wines. And the sovereign Lord will swallow up death forever and wipe away the tears from all the faces. So now John sees the fulfillment of this prophecy of what Jews longed for throughout the centuries, of a new heaven and a new earth. 
and that the sea will be no more. And that was crucial for a Jew because they saw the sea as a place of chaos and separation from their families and friends. And so no Jew wanted to die at sea. They wanted to die in the promised land where there indeed was land. And all this passed into a new life when the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So the wedding imagery is beautifully described here. This is the God that we believe in, the one who always comes to us first, the one who loves us first and we love in return, the one who sent his only son in human flesh to be one with us and among us, the God-man Jesus, to take on our worldview and redeem it. This is the incarnation, God seeing the world through our eyes and Jesus showing the world through God's eyes. God comes to us, as he always does, to, to love and redeem the world. A revival preacher once said to the crowd, reach up and get a good hold on God. Well, the opposite really is true, where God reaches down into the pit of our despair and lifts us out and says, come and follow me. There's an old gospel hymn that says, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. That's the God we have who comes to us in our time of need to redeem us. Here's what uh, Anne Graham Lott says about heaven. In heaven there will be no more hospitals or funerals, broken homes or broken hearts, broken dreams or broken lives. There will be no more diabetes or Parkinson's disease, heart disease or arthritis, cancer, strokes or AIDS. And we can insert covid no more bombs or terrorists or guns in school. But she adds, you have to RSVP. You really do. Now God is preparing us, his bride, the church, to meet the bridegroom Jesus in this eternal wedding feast. I just can't imagine the greatest joy that will be to see the very face of God. So we need to receive this gift by saying yes. This heaven, this abode for saints, is real. But I'm here to tell you that heaven is not some pie-in-the-sky kind of Christianity. It's not to motivate us so that we become so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to take me home. And a lot of us would just like to be whisked away from this world right now. But I'm here to tell you that heaven is now. In the Gospel of Mark, the very first words of Jesus after his baptism and temptation in the wilderness is, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As my seminary professor Lowell Satry would say, the kingdom of God is now. It has broken into the world. We don't have to wait for it. It is in our presence right now. And we get a foretaste of heaven, don't we? Every time we come together, to worship just like you are here today. And this is something to celebrate, and we do this every time we gather in Christ's name. Yes, life is veiled. We don't see the full glory of God because of sin. There is a veil over our eyes. Paul says we see in a mirror dimly, but someday face to face. And I'm thankful that at least we can see in a mirror dimly. We can see glimpses of God's goodness, of heaven on this side of eternity. The birth of a baby, like Dax, what a miracle. 
the joy of a, of a family gathering for a Thanksgiving dinner, the sunrise, the sunset, the vastness of the ocean, a shooting star. We see the goodness of God's glory all around us if we just look. And when we do gather for worship and celebrate Holy Communion, which we will in just a little while, we'll join with all the saints, the saints who are in the church triumphant, and we, the saints in the church militant, fighting the good fight of faith. We're not just a church at 5100 Camden Avenue in San Jose. We are joined with all the saints above and on the earth. What a powerful experience being united in celebrating God's goodness and salvation and worship as we proclaim with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify his holy name saying, holy, holy, holy. What a powerful worship we enjoy. The whole hosts of heaven is with us before the throne most high. Alleluia. This is the truth we proclaim. And this is the calling God has given us to be salt and light to the world, uh, the world of darkness and destruction and chaos. We are riveted to the TV at an image of a C-17 carrying American and Afghan refugees out of that Kabul airport, airport. And you can see the picture. This the chaos, the crowd, just desperate to leave this terrible condition. There were about 800 that got on that one plane stacked in there. I don't know how they ever took off. Some people died while the plane was taking off. They were hanging on for dear life. Some bodies were found in the wheel well later because they were so desperate, but they, were, they passed away as well. But to me, that's a metaphor of the human condition, of the desperate nature of, of the world we live in, wanting to be rescued to a better life, or seeing the erosion of family values or the annihilation of our core values of good is bad and bad is good. Just take us away from all this, Lord. The world is looking for rescue and to find a better life. But the saints of God, you and me, are set apart for the very purpose to proclaim the truth through word and deed, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and to witness his love to a dying world. He is the answer, not only to rescue us from sin and death and the power of the devil, but to equip us to live in the midst of the chaos and need through the power of the Holy Spirit. It was Jesus alluding in John 17, basically, that we are in the world, we're to be in the world and not of the world. And that's where God places us as his saints, where we can do the most good, letting the light shine through you and me. You don't have to be a St. Augustine or a St. Francis or perform miracles to be a saint. And I'm sure you can think of people near and dear to you, the unsung heroes of the faith who've brought you closer to God. During World War II, 1942, England needed to increase its production of coal for the war effort, but miners were soon to go on strike, and that would cripple the economy and hurt their war effort. And so Winston Churchill went to the labor unions to enlist their support and avert a strike. At the end of his presentation, he asked them to picture in their minds the parade that's going to happen at Piccadilly Circus once the war is over, and he predicted a victory. He said, first, he said, would come the sailors who kept the vital sea lanes open. Then would come the soldiers who had come from Dunkirk and then went on to northern Africa to defeat Rommel. 
Then would come the pilots flying overhead, those pilots who had cleared the air of the Luftwaffe from the sky. But last of all, he said, would come a long line of seat-stained, soaked street men in miners' caps. Someone would cry from the crowd, and where were you during the critical days of the struggle? And from 10,000 throats would come the answer, we were deep in the earth with our faces to the coal. You may be that unsung hero, faces to the coal. Grandparents sitting at the kitchen table praying fervently for that grandchild far from God and for that person's salvation, fighting the good fight as a church militant. And I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but maybe there will be a parade where God will observe what he has done and all the saints passing before his throne of grace, St. Peter, St. Paul, Luther, Calvin, Billy Graham, all the great saints that we can think of, but also that parent, that grandparent that prayed for you and that you prayed for someone in need and for their salvation. This All Saints Sunday, we proclaim the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ who makes us all saints through his shed blood on the cross and the forgiveness of our sins. He's calling us to be lights to the world that others might be drawn to gaze upon the beauty of his holiness forever, a place where he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. Heaven is now and is brought to perfection in the life to come. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is everything we need. He is our all in all. And so this is all good news for All Saints Sunday. News that needs to be shared. And the question is, when the time comes for us to go into those pearly gates, to go to heaven, who will we take with us. Amen.